Chris Scalzi here with Matt Owl. On this episode of The First Run, Matt and I are going to discuss the uh, latest film from Jane Campion featuring a stellar ensemble cast, Benedict Cumberbatch, Benedict's Cumberbatch, America's Sweetheart Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst, and Cody Smith-McPhee in the Netflix original The Power of the Dog, a western about masculinity, love, and violence. Then Paul Verhoeven has entered the twilight years of his career, Matt. Is he still turning out bangers? That's right. It's the not-quite-nunsploitation thriller, Benedetta. We'll tell you what's coming up on physical media, featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then Matt and I are going to close out the show with another round of everybody's favorite film in the blank game, TFR Lives. But Matt, let's start everything off with a clip from The Power of the Dog. Where were you? I can't make the boys hold back forever. That's fine. Uh, check the power, and it's held up, not coming till morning. Oh, no thanks. So, they're ready for us next door at the Red Mill. Dinner time, boys. Let's get a move on. 25 years ago, where were you, Georgie boy? Hmm? With you? I'll tell you. Chubby know nothing too dumb to get through college. People helped you, fat so. One person in particular taught you and me ranching so we damn well succeeded. Bronco Henry. Mm. <clears throat> so. So the West brothers, Romulus and Remus, and the wolf who raised us. Bronco Henry. Matt, what is the power of the dog all about? Who is this Bronco Henry? He seems important. And why is Benedict Cumberbatch so mad? <laughs> Those are a lot of loaded questions. I'll start with the first one. Um, so this is uh, the story of the Burbank brothers, uh, a pair of cattle ranchers in... Um, Early 20th century Montana, Benedict Cumberbatch plays Phil, the more rough and tumble, actual stereotypical cowboy of the two, whereas Jesse Plemons plays a outsider black sheep of the family, not really able to uh, perform the duties of a, of a cattle rancher. And Jesse Plemons decides to get married to Kristen Dunst's character, and that causes friction between the two of them. It's sad when stuff like that happens and families get kind of split up by these decisions that people make, except... Maybe when one of the family members just seems to be a real jerk. What a jag off, as the kids, yeah. the kids say that. The kids say jag off. I don't think so. No, no, they don't. So, Matt, you're a big fan of the Western. Yeah. And in fact, a few weeks ago, we did a Western, The Heart of They Fall, that you were not a big fan of. True. And I think I used the term deconstruction involving Westerns a couple dozen times in that episode. I'm going to try desperately to stay away from that in this film. <laughs> but. What are your thoughts on the power of the dog as not just a Western? Now, I know sometimes people have issues with films that are, I don't want to say deliberately paced, but they're, this is a very subtle film, right? There's not, that camping doesn't really hit us over the head with anything, but I think that's why the film may be as successful as it is, is how it is just sly, subtle thing that just eventually these big reveal moments just wash over you where they're not even that they're not thunderous right but they're still exceptionally impactful when they happen and you have all these just moments that are like oh 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 but what are your thoughts of the power of a dog man yeah it's a western that's really filled with a lot of subtext and it's got this sense of building dread throughout all of it that never really releases the way you would think it would. There's no kind of big set piece. There's no kind of climactic uh, shootout or anything like that that you would expect. So it's definitely a, a, a kind of a family drama set in like the last gasps of the American West type of, type of thing. I mean, this takes place in 1925. So, I mean, it's after World War One. You know, the stock exchange is going to be collapsing in a few years. Um, so it's it's really kind of like this this look at a way of life that is going to be disappearing and like the, the last people that are trying to kind of hold on to something futilely. Um, and then kind of the other subtext of it, I don't want to kind of get too much into it because I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but, you know, about um, 
people losing what they have and then kind of grasping for things that they never really had. And it's kind of the conflict between the two. Mm. I feel like the film focuses more, is more intimate about that second part of matter what you said, than it yeah. is more about the first part where the people kind of grappling with a changing world around them. Right. Or at least what's to come down over the horizon. And I think it's a very simple tale about family, but it's so expertly woven. The story is so expertly told, providing these reveals that kind of change everything we thought we knew about these characters. And I think, again, that's why it's so successful. It's like a Russian doll of narratives, where every time we're, we open up, we think we kind of know who these people are and where they're coming from and why they are the way they are. There's a, just a, a reveal that turns the whole film on its head. And it is really, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, this is the first um, film by Gene Campion that I've ever seen. I've never seen The Piano, which was a big Oscar winner, and I haven't seen any of their work. So now I'm feeling like, man, a lot of her stuff is like this. I have to check this stuff out. Because it is such a layered film with so much happening all the time, even with these looks and the way this certain reveals are done, the certain shots that are selected when... When right when Phil and uh, uh, Peter are looking at the mountains, talking about well, what do you see there? You know that type of thing. Really stunning work here, and I was exceptionally impressed with this. And I want to really laud Benedict Cumberbatch here because he goes from like tyrant Matt right to a, like a lost man, not comfortable who he is, putting on this role that I think ultimately maybe becomes pitiable, even as he kind of well, I don't like you said, I don't want to reveal too much here, but I think this may be the best work he's done. I think his performance here is so layered where he's at once repulsive and then later engaging. I think there's some Oscar-worthy stuff here. And the revelations of Phil's truth, I think, reveals to us so much about, you know, kind of performative masculinity. And uh, I was just really impressed with Cumberbatch in this film. I think he really just, I don't know if steals the show is the right way to put it. But what he delivers here is just some riveting uh, stuff. What are your thoughts on Benedict. Yeah, I agree. The, I mean, really the, the best parts of this film are the performances. I mean, they're kind of strong across the board between, I think Benedict Cumberbatch is a standout, but Jesse Plemons is infuriating as his brother. Um, but it comes across as quite uh, well, the Kirsten Dunst playing the put upon widow and Peter, the kind of out of place kid in this family drama played by Cody Smith McPhee. I think they're all pretty good um, execution at the very least. Most of them are even really good, um, even though they may not get up to Benedict Cumberbatch's level. But yeah, I think this is really more of a focus on an acting showcase than it is necessarily a story showcase. But I think that's enough to carry it through for you. Yeah, I think Smith McPhee too is another MVP of this film. His character's arc Again, it's uh, there's just so much you want to say, but I think it'll reveal basically what happens in the film, which, again, clearly I'm saying you absolutely have to watch. I love these types of movies, Matt, where the entire narrative kind of gets turned on its head once we hit kind of certain character points or certain points of the film. But you're right. It's not – you don't have, like, the big shootout. There's no grand final revenge in the doorway, you know, when the guy gets to kill the person who wronged his family. There's nothing like that in here. But there are some shocking turns and some shocking moments uh, of it's not so much like, oh, my God, how violent is that? Just more the emotional impact of the acts taken by the characters. I guess it's probably the best way I can say it. Honestly, I will say this, though. I will warn people going into this. It's a long film. It's like two and a half hours long. You can say it's deliberately paced. Some people would say it's glacially paced. Um, there's and there's and there's not a lot of kind of overt action in this. There's not a lot of kind of events that happen. It's all very subtext. So this may not be for everyone, but I think everyone should give it a chance. But if you told me it wasn't for you, I would not hold that against you. Yeah, that's probably fair, but disappointing to hear because I think there's a lot. This film really has a lot to offer and i want to watch it again too because i feel like there's gonna be more stuff that i'm going to discover and notice and pick up upon with second and perhaps even third viewings i mean there are all sorts of kind of lies and hidden truths and lies the characters tell themselves and it's just a riveting experience to watch you're right though that it is more character study than it is kind of grand sweeping uh epic it's mm -hmm. i feel like this film would almost work too as a stage play yeah, and I think it would, would. And it would, it would, you'd lose none of the effectiveness of it, that I think it would just be that engaging. Although I know you're not the biggest fan of play adaptations into film, right? <laughs> yeah, the other way. 
It's the other way we have our problems. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk to you a little bit quickly about Johnny Greenwood's score. I think it is very well done and exceptionally effective and really helps place you in this time and then this place. And I will say, I think it's superior to his Spencer score, a film that I have seen, Matt, that I don't think you had a chance to catch up with yet. I have not seen, no. Yeah, so maybe we'll hit that up at some point. Um, but I thought his work here is really good. Again, Greenwood has knocked out some stellar scores. It, absolute great work. And he always seems to work with the right people. You know, mostly working with P.T. Anderson, right? But then delivers another winner here with The Power of the Dog. Yeah, man, I'm not sure. Anything else you want to add about it? Not really. I mean, I would recommend anybody check it out. It's on Netflix, so it's not like it's a, a big effort to go out and see it. I would say give it a chance. I personally would give it a B. I think it's a pretty solid film. I think the performances are really good if the overall narrative can kind of lag at times. Yeah, I actually gave it an A, man. I think it delivered. It's one of the finest, it's kind of sneakiest films of the year. And... It really sat with me. It's been on my mind. I even dreamt about it a little bit last night. I mean, really, it's, oh. <laughs> I don't know. It's just one of the things that sticks with you. I think much maybe like the film we'll talk about a little bit later in the show as well, though. I'm curious to see if Matt, Matt's reaction to that one. If you had a chance to see The Power of the Dog, which is in some theaters, but as Matt said, currently available on Netflix as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, coming up on Physical Media this upcoming Tuesday, probably some of the most fun I had at the theater this year, which I don't know if that says anything about me, but uh, let's hear a clip. You think you're very handsome, do you? You have disgraced me before my king and all of France. You knew what would happen to me should you lose this duel. You knew and you didn't tell me. God will not punish those who tell the truth. My fate and our child's fate will be written not by God's will, but by which old man will tire first. How dare you speak to me this way? What have I to lose? I begged you to find another way, and now I might be burned alive. I am risking my life for you. Hmm. You are risking my life so you can fight your enemy and save your bride. And that could render our child an orphan. Or did you not think of that? You are a hypocrite. You are blinded by your vanity. Ridley Scott's The Last Duel of Matt is being released this upcoming Tuesday, December 14th. Includes a documentary in the making of it. Now, Scott did say that he has an extended cut he wants to release at some point. I think Damon backed him up with that too, that there's like another hour plus that was cut from the film. So I don't know what to tell you. Now, I would definitely say check it out if you haven't seen it, particularly at least for Ben Affleck's line delivery. Some of the greatest work I think he's ever done is in this film. But I don't know. I go back and forth on purchasing this because if there is an extended cut coming, and Scott has typically got his cuts, his extended ones released at some point. So, But I don't know if that's also going to depend on people actually buying this one. I don't know. If right. You should at least check it out, though, folks. Also coming up is The Mitchells vs. The Machines, featuring the voice work of Abby Jacobson, Danny McBride, Maya Rudolph, uh, Eric Andre, Olivia Coleman. There's an animated film that was released on Netflix, Matt, that I think we both really enjoyed. I know I got a lot of fun with it. What about you? Do you remember The Mitchells vs. The Machines? Yeah, it was pretty good. It's a pretty good uh, non-Disney fair. So there you go. It includes a filmmaker's commentary exclusive to the Blu-ray uh, and some extended scenes. Um, some of the uh, Katie's... Extended cinematic Bonanza cut, you know, all the little animations she did. There's like a compiled full-length version of that that has uh, extra stuff added and more. One of the biggest disappointments, well, man, I can't say it's a disappointment. Venom, Let There Be Carnage is being released as well. You get a steelbook from Best Buy. Target's got a fan art with collectible cards release. Outtakes and bloopers, six deleted scenes, and a few making of featurettes. Just horrible. Horrible. The Card Counter, Paul Schrader's latest film with Oscar Isaacs. I loved his first Reformed with Ethan Hawke. Did we ever do that for the show, Matt? I don't even remember. No, I don't think we did. We never got just, around to it. Did you check it out? No, I've never seen it. Fair enough. I think it's worth seeing. It is quite good. Well, he returns with The Card Counter. As I said, there's a featurette on the making of the film. I definitely want to check this one out at some point. Natty Morales' 
wrote, directed, and starred along with Mark Duplass in Language Lessons about a Spanish teacher and her student who developed an unexpected friendship. Shout Factory is releasing the Scott Eastwood Helm vehicle, Dangerous. RLJ Entertainment is releasing South of Heaven. This is a film starring Jason Sudeikis, Evangeline Lilly, and Shea Wiggum. I wonder if Sudeikis and Lilly had broken up by then, because that must have been tough. What else is coming out? Kino Lorber, uh, along with Artsploitation, is releasing Plagiarism. When a teenager finds himself caught in a glitzy, glitzy reality with his on-screen male idol, he does all he can to be possessed by this man and ignore the violent clues of how he got there. Includes audio commentary and some deleted scenes. American Sicario, featuring Danny Trejo. American gangster Eric Vasquez is scheming to become the top dog in the Mexican underworld, only to find himself making enemies out of both the powerful cartels and his own allies. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing The Learning Tree by D. Gordon Parks. Brand new 2K restoration of that with a new conversation, a documentary, and more. The film Going Berserk featuring John Candy, Joe Flaherty, and Eugene Levy is getting a Blu-ray release. The Kindred from Synapse, a brand new 4K restoration of the unrated version of the film. This is that 87 horror film that about a geneticist who takes his assistance to his old family home to locate the deadly product of his late mother's revolutionary research into rapid human evolution, his monstrous tentacled baby brother before a mad scientist gets him first. Put some audio commentary, a compilation of creature effects, and a CD soundtrack for this uh, limited edition. MVD is releasing both Jack Frost films. Now, this is not the Michael Keaton one. This is the uh, B horror movie. I never saw the second one, but I enjoyed the first one a lot. I think I watched as part of USA Saturday Nightmares back in the day. This is kind of a stripped-down version of Vinegar Syndrome's release, but it does have a new 2K scan by Vinegar Syndrome. Um, in a new interview with Full Empire Promotions, Dominic Mancini uh, interviews Scott McDonald. Uh, audio commentaries, other interviews, and more. And as I said, Jack Frost 2 is being released as well with a high-definition transfer, but no uh, remaster uh, on that one. Nasty Habits, the Nunsploitation Collection, is being released from Severin. Includes the Italian extended cut of Christiana Devil Nun. Story of a Cloistered Nun, Images in a Convent, and the True Story of the Nun of Monza. Audio commentaries, deleted scenes, and more are included in this set from Severin. 88 Films is releasing The Disciples of the Shaolin, a new mastered a Blu-ray impetuous young martial artist, Quan, takes a job at a textile factory, Matt, where another disciple of the revered Shaolin discipline warns him about the rival Manchu clan who run another nearby mill. Includes a couple audio commentaries, reversible sleeve, and more. Full Moon Features is releasing Crash, also known as Death Ride, also known as A Cause of the God of Vengeance, and a remastered and uncut release, a brand new uncut presentation, there you go, for the first time, an occult object takes possession of a driverless car and causes one spectacular crash after another until 50 cars are pounded into a mass of twisted metal. So, I guess that's what we have to look forward to with Tesla. Full Moon is also releasing Put Your Devil Into My Hell, Sounds dirty. Ricardo is a playboy prepared to do anything to get to bed with the wife of the mayor of Montalapone. Kino Orber is releasing Bedtime Story featuring Marlon Brando, David Niven, and Shirley Jones. They're releasing The Four Seasons featuring Alan Alda and Carol Burnett. The Seduction of Joe Tynan, also known as The Center, featuring Alan Alda. The Brass Bottle starring Tony Randall, Burl Ives, and Barbara Eden. And then along with Kino, Cord Red is releasing Mass Appeal featuring Jack Lemmon. Code Red Matt is also releasing The Dead Pit, which is one of those classic VHS covers that I always saw that I never watched, like the weird dead zombie guy coming out of the pit with the yellow eyes and like the uh, bowl haircut as kind of other demon zombie things are coming out of the pit behind him. If you were to Google The Dead Pit and see the VHS cover, you'd be like, oh yeah, I remember seeing that thing. Brand new 2K remaster of that from the original camera negative. Sandpiper Pictures is releasing Posse. This is the Mario Van Peoples Western from the uh, mid-90s. Criterion is releasing in 4K the Red Shoes, the Powell Pressburger Classic. You get a brand new 4K transfer from the 2009 restoration. And it does have Dolby Vision and HDR. It's a 4K Blu-ray, Blu-ray combo. Introduction of the restoration demonstration with filmmaker Martin Scorsese. An audio commentary from 94, a 2000 documentary and more. Also getting released, Matt, in UHD is Wolf of Wall Street, the Leo DiCaprio Scorsese film, with a brand new transfer, supervised by Scorsese. Matt, your straight to DVD pick of the week, I'm going to go with Murder Hornets. Killer Murder Hornets attack in several places across the U.S., Matt, during a global pandemic. Timely. 
A few groups of people try to warn each other via social media while defending themselves from certain aerial death. I like that. From the director of Ebola Rex and 5G Zombies. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? So available on Disney Plus is the biggest uh, Marvel movie to date of this year anyway. <laughs> um, is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Fi- uh, the Ten Rings. Excuse me. Um, Don't short those rings. I know. That's right. Don't cut them in half. Really, it's a a Marvel film with uh, some nods to Asian folklore. It's it's the most non superhero Marvel film to date. And if that sounds like something you would like, maybe you should give it a look if you're one of the few people who haven't seen it. Yeah, Shang Chi is a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And it was something different, uh, so that was good. Not as different as Eternals, which I also liked. Yeah, Shang Chi is definitely worth checking out. All right, Matt, let's keep rolling. I know you've been waiting for this one, Paul Verhoeven. Nuns, lesbianism, sex violence. It's like chocolate and peanut butter. Let's take a listen. Merci. N'ayez crainte. La comète est le signe que le Seigneur nous protège. La peste ne touchera pas Pécha. Jésus m'a promis, à moi son épouse. Que cette ville serait épargnée Seigneur Jésus, protégez-nous Protégez notre Seigneur Merci, Seigneur Jésus Matt, Benedetta, the latest from Paul Verhoeven, his second French film, is the story of Benedetta Carolini. This is actually a person who existed, and she was a nun in a convent who started to have visions of Jesus, really crazy, inappropriate visions. Not like that kind of, well, close to being that kind of inappropriate. But blasphemic visions of the Lord. And she is then also dealing with her own desires. So based again, Matt, as we said, uh, on a true story, Verhoeven has released, Matt, some of the most, I think, consequential films of the past 30, 40 years in regards to certain aspects, right? I mean, RoboCop is an absolute classic. Showgirls, a classic in its own right. Total Recall set the uh, template for fun kind of 80s sci-fi action films. So we are now, though, in a very different stage of his career, where Verhoeven, who now I believe coming in at a uh, healthy 83, known for his shock work, is going to make this potentially sacrilegious lesbian nun film which must be, Matt, blasphemic and outrageous and wholly inappropriate and I think needs absolutely to be banned worldwide, I assume, right? Is, I mean, it's, it's, it's that bad, isn't it? It's not. It's not that bad in either sense of the word. Um, it is a period nun piece with flashes of my beloved Paul Verhoeven and his craziness, especially in some of the Jesus scenes, which are chef's kiss kind of awesome in a weird way. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I'll just kind of put it this way. I was reading a review of this and someone said it's a red flag should have gone up when the director of showgirls is making a movie about a sapphic nun. And I was like, is RoboCop and Starship Troopers a joke to you? I mean, why would you even go to Showgirls? I this is this is more what we're expecting. And I I I think it's a little disjointed. It's a little it's got weird like these weird tonally shifts, but there are there's enough here that I think I can recommend it. I think I really enjoy it. Although I must admit, even though I love Verhoeven, I haven't seen a lot of his later work. And um, this is probably the most recent film of his that I've seen in a long time. Maybe since like Hollow Man. Well, yeah, so that was 2000. He did Black Book, which I haven't seen. I haven't seen Tricked, and I haven't seen L. L was the first French film he did. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those. So I do want to catch up with L, but I have seen most of his, well, I should say most of the work from when he came to the States, right? So Robocop, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, Showgirl, Starship Troopers. Hollow Man, I do not like at all. No, I don't, I don't like it. I'm just saying that's the last one I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I definitely have some Verhoeven to catch up with. But so it's a story of this woman's rise to power and her exploration of her own self. And I think one of the interesting things that Verhoeven does with this story is that he leaves it rather ambiguous, right? Is she taking advantage of the situation in an attempt to gain power or is this actually happening? And he never really answers that question, right? He he kind of 
looks like he's going to, but then he always at the last second, he kind of inserts or interjects this little thing. Well, I don't know. Maybe the Lord possessed me to do that. So you don't know, right? Wink, wink. You know, so I do enjoy that part of it. I think it walks a very fine line and occasionally lunges over that line with reckless abandon when it comes to the appropriateness of some of the stuff. I mean, they do turn a statue of the, the a wooden statue of the Virgin Mary in, into a, a dildo. What's weird about it, though, is that none of the stuff that, that is supposed to be, I think, truly shocking to the senses, it isn't. Right? The whole, all of that kind of stuff, it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy, man. Instead of like, <laughs> oh, my God. You know, and I think that's part of the issue with the film. It's typical Verhoeven, right? It's brash, it's sexy, it's violent. But I, I feel like it's the elder statesman Verhoeven where he's still willing to poke the sides of good taste and he's kind of satisfied just with that, right? It's it's the knowing wink. We're no longer having the basic instinct scene, which was like this, you know, cinema on fire moment back in the 90s. But it's all still there, but it's all strangely muted to me now maybe i'm just that jaded this stuff doesn't impact me as much anymore but it just didn't feel as groundbreaking and as you know i don't know offensive isn't the right term but it just didn't feel as what's the word i'm looking for matt shocking um controversial controversial yet so brave yeah right i don't know but what do you think Did did you get that at all from me I mean, from the film. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because, and I don't know if this is just the the lack of kind of religious mores between the two of us, but mm-hmm. blasphemy type stuff doesn't really shock me that much. I, like, I can see where you're kind of taking this thing that's supposed to be quote unquote pure and you're kind of, you know, trying to subvert it, but it seems like such an easy way to do that. So it doesn't yeah. really seem like it's, it seems like it's almost lazy to when you kind of see it these days. And I guess that smacks that, but maybe if we were more religious, if we were living in a community or society that really kind of held that stuff more important then maybe it would. Um, And I think honestly, you know, some of the stuff, I mean, the Virgin Mary dildo would not be, you know, would be frowned upon, I think in any century, but some of this stuff, like, you know, you know, um, clergy you know being able to have relationships is a topic that's been in discussion for a long time and then things like you know where do lgbtq people fit into the the clergy and kind of those kinds of things and they're the questions being asked are not as controversial as they would have been you know 20 30 40 years ago yeah i mean verhoeven i think still wants is trying to take his magnifying glass right to a couple subjects here this time i think around it's going to be the church and examining kind of the impact of repression in those relationships and you know and he tries i think to make maybe make the statement that god can work through all of these stuff even the the, the dirty things <laughs> and i mean in this film verhoeven's jesus can get it right i mean clearly <laughs> verhoeven's jesus is all about the ladies so i don't know there's just a few things where it just didn't have the same impact you know part of it might be Though I think we had our concerns going into it last year's band marathon. It made me fondly recall The Devils. I think a similar but much more subversive film. And maybe that's part of my issue. Mm -hmm. That I feel like Ken Russell's The Devils kind of covered some of this stuff already. And I think better. I mean, that film. Now, that film is a trip. I mean, that thing is going to make you like, oh, God, what am I watching? Right? And I think Benedetta is kind of like the duller cousin of that i mean there's still stuff to like no i agree yeah that's exactly i thought the exact same thing i'm like man this is like the devil's light in some in some respects so um yeah i I got that reference as well i love how too that verhoven from the kind of get-go he sets things up at the convent or clearly money talks right i mean he can buy your way into the convent during this time of plague when they're trying to find these safe spaces for the, the for their children but for everything I enjoyed about Benedetta, and I want to be clear, I did actually enjoy this film. It was interesting, had some things to say, but like you say, it's the devil's light. It's just never decadent enough. All right. I think that the sex is okay, mostly, I guess, but the corruption of the church 
at times too kind of felt formulaic and cliched to me. Like we've seen this before. We know it's corrupt, especially during that time. And I don't know. It's just never, as I said, it's elder statesman Verhoeven. I like, maybe would like to have seen him make this film in his thirties or forties. I think maybe it would have been much more impactful and much more, um, ribald and just a bigger statement piece than I think this one is. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if that's has the, it's because our, our main man is, is 83 at this point and he's, you know, he's pulling an Eastwood and becoming a little long on the tooth. I don't really know, but uh, there's still flashes and I think there's still enough here to recommend it. If you're a, a fan of Verhoeven, which, and of course, why wouldn't you be? Exactly. Matt, I had another horrible experience with Benedetta the, theater. Did you? So uh, I talked about a couple of weeks ago with Spencer. I was at the AMC Veterans 24 and the, the projection was just horrible. I mean, I get that they've given up on masking. They gave up on that like 10 years ago, but the image was so soft and light, right? And this is, from what I've seen pictures online and stuff, this is a fairly colorful film, or at least lit well and stuff. And mine was kind of washed out. Again, the same problem with Spencer. So this is clearly a presentation issue. So I actually emailed AMC about it, because whenever you want to get out of the theater, it's like 9.30, you can't find a soul. So I emailed them, and I got this kind of uh, generic response. Oh, you have a question about the box office of the hours? Click here. Oh, you have a question about concessions? Like, no. I asked a very specific question. Well, I felt like your response was basically to get me to go away. So I emailed them back, and they finally responded, thanks, and we'll forward your concerns on to the theater. I guess it's something. I just I asked them to change. I think it's the bulb. They got to change that damn bulb. Listen, folks, you're going to the AMC Veterans 24, Theater 8. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Putting putting AMC Veterans Twenty Four on blast here. I am. Well, I love, listen, I I'm a fan of AMC. I love the A list program. I think it's great. I go to I tend to go to the Fourteen because it's closer to me. But the Fourteen doesn't carry Benedetta. It doesn't carry the uh, the artsier stuff. And now I saw Spencer, and now this the exact same experience. So please, folks, get it together. Matt, give me a score on Benedetta. I think I'm going to give it a on-the-edge B. I think there's enough here to entertain me, although it does have its issues. Yeah, I have a B as well. I'm not as on-the-edge about it. I think it is a rock-solid B. Yeah, um, where are we, 84 to 86? I think that is definitely where we are. Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Benedetta, folks? Feedback at thefirstrun.com. It is currently playing in theaters now. Charlotte Rampling, man. Every time I see her, she plays the abscess. She is the abyss, excuse me. She's the one in charge, too. She is also quite good in this. Let's talk about that briefly. Regine Efira, who plays Benedetta. Daphne Patakia, who's Bartoloma. I mean, really, I think some great work here. And I always love Rampling. When you see stuff like, I saw her. What was like the big thing I first saw her in? Oh, it was The Verdict. Cindy Lamette's The Verdict with Paul Newman. Right. I mean, she's fantastic in that. And then I realized, well, she was also what in the Porter's wife. Right. So Rampling does not shy away from uh, the or it's just a night Porter. Either way, she does not shy away from this kind of touchy subject stuff. And I think she delivers some really fascinating work here as well. So uh, kudos all around um, for the cast, too. I didn't really talk anything about that. I, I think I, my conversation was mostly Verhoeven focused. Good stuff. Benedetta, shoot us an email. Feedback at the first run dot com. Matt, let's spend a few minutes now. And fill in some of them blanks. When I was a kid, before the accident, I'd lay awake at night listening to the sirens. I like to put stories to them. Try and figure out what they were for. Ambulance or cops, robbery or fire. I don't know, just a stupid game. But after I lost my sight, after my abilities developed, I realized how many sirens there actually were. How much this city suffered every single night. You've been running around doing this since you were a kid? No. I, I tried not to fight, to make my dad proud, to, to, to block it out. The sirens, the, the pain, the fear, all of the strangling Hell's Kitchen. For years, I, I buried my head and turned away. Then, one night, right after we quit Lamin and Zach, I heard it. Heard what? Little girl crying in her bed in a building down the block. Oh, boy. Matt, that, of course, is Charlie Cox as Daredevil on the Netflix show. Kevin Feige, Matt, 
has come out and stated that if we do Daredevil in some capacity, it will be Charlie Cox. So, Matt, Charlie Cox possibly coming back as Daredevil in some capacity is blank. Exciting. I enjoyed uh, Charlie Cox as Daredevil, and I hope that we get some of those kind of adjacent characters. I would like to see Deborah Ann Wool come back as Karen Page. So, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a good thing. I think that's uh, what the fans want. Give us what we want, damn it. So, yeah, I still haven't seen the third season of Daredevil, but I, I enjoyed either. the first two. Yeah, I start, I'm starting, I actually started a rewatch just to kind of get watched all the way through. And I think it's mean. I think it's a tease. You think I so? mean, if I'm Charlie Cox, I'm like, wait, so now I got to not need another single carve like for the next few years in case <laughs> I get a phone call? Yeah. See, I didn't, I took it as almost like it was confirmation that like it will be Charlie Cox, but like when you see that and how you see that, because I believe I haven't looked at any of this stuff. I believe there's a lot of leaks out there, but from what I understand, like Denof- and I haven't seen the new episode yet either, but that D'Onofrio's Kingpin is supposed to be in Hawkeye. And that's going to be the opening for like Charlie Cox and Daredevil to come back. He may actually even be a cameo in Hawkeye somewhere towards the end. So, I mean, Kingpin is definitely in Hawkeye. I'm three episodes in mm-hmm. and there's one flashback scene with one character yeah. where you just see a hand pinch a cheek yeah. and it's, but it's, yeah. it's D'Onofrio's voice. Yeah, that's what everybody says. Um, like I said, I haven't looked at any of the leaks that have come out. Apparently, there's a lot of leaks out there for Hawkeye and and uh, multiverse. But yeah, I, I think I took it more as that it's almost that's guaranteed he's coming back. It's just when he's coming back, you just don't know. Yeah, all right. I felt that was kind of a little non-committal. It was like, well, if we use Daredevil again, Daredevil will be Charlie Cox. And I, if I'm like Charlie Cox, I'd be like, what the hell is that? <laughs> I mean, I appreciate it, but Jesus. So are you enjoying Hawkeye? I actually am. I've watched yeah. all three episodes so far. The yeah. fourth one drops today as we record this episode. Yeah. yeah, I have enjoyed Hawkeye. I'm trying to kind of put it into where I would put it. I think right now I would put it as third. I think Loki, WandaVision, then Hawkeye, and then probably Falcon and Winter Soldier last. Mm. I do wish Haley Steinfeld, though, was a little more fuller of a character. She seems very slight to me. Her um, Kate Bishop. So maybe, you know, we'll get a little more uh, out of that. Because I, I think Steinfeld's a great actress, you know. So it's I'm a little disappointed so far with Kate Bishop's character. But we'll see how it goes. Like, we're only halfway you, through, right? Are you very familiar with Kate Bishop from the comics? And I have, not, I have Matt, not read that Hawkeye run at all, no. The Matt Fractions, the Matt Fraction run? Okay. No. All right, so very good. From what I understand, I think, I, what I've read online, it looks like Matt Fraction is in need of a couple checks. Oh, because really? The design of, I think, what the costumes and then even the title designs and the end title designs all seem to borrow or lift directly from his artwork from what I've seen. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I, it, it does. I thought that was, I thought I saw his name in the, in the opening credits. I think of the first episode, I thought he was a writer on some of this stuff. Oh, is he? All right. My, yeah. I was under the impression that it was more like it was a, you know, based on the works of type thing. Oh, and you okay. know how that works is it's a work for hire. So then they can right. do whatever they want with that work. And right. the, the visual aesthetic, at least of the opening and closing credits, relies so heavily on the stuff that I've seen of his work yeah. that I think he better be getting some extra cash. Because if not, as an artist, that's kind of BS. Yeah, I thought he was more involved, but I could be wrong. I guess yeah, now. I hope you're right. I have something to Google um, as we as we get through this. All right. Well, I'm just gonna then I'll just pull off the bandit. I have a Charlie Cox Daredevil question as well, um, so I'm gonna throw that out there mm-hmm. uh, since you beat me to the punch. So with Charlie Cox uh, coming back and Vincent D'Onofrio coming back, the rest of the Marvel in, of the Marvel Netflix uh, series uh, regulars are blank. Well, superfluous. I don't think we're gonna get Luke Cage back. Is that um, he's got his own show now? I think on. Mm-hmm. Paramount Plus or CBS, whatever it was. It's Paramount Plus now, right? Evil. Um, I like Kristen Ritter. So I would, I guess I'd be open to that. But I think that it need, they would definitely need to recast and redo Iron Fist because that was just not good. Maybe give it to, um, oh, that's how much of an impact Iron Fist had on me. The female lead in that show is you know, the partner one that helps him out. Maybe make her Iron Fist and that might be a little more interesting. But, yeah, no, I, I just, no, I don't know. Maybe, do you think they'd do an expansion on Disney Plus and bring those the Defenders back? I don't, um, yeah, I don't know. Those, I mean, other than Daredevil and 
Punisher, I think all of those characters are pretty slight. I think they could bring back Jessica Jones. I don't know. I know it was, uh, what was it? Marvel Max, I think it was. So that was more of an adult line. But I think they would need to lighten up Jessica Jones just a little bit. I think it could use a little bit of levity. Um, but I mean, if they didn't bring back Luke Cage and Iron Fist, I wouldn't be sad. But I would like to see Burnthal come back as the Punisher. Yeah, I always forget about him as part of that. And I have not watched that last season of... They only did two, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, I watched the first season, and I think I watched an episode or two of the second, and that's it. So I have to check that out, too. And I, Yeah, yeah. I, I think Barenthal is pitch-perfect casting as Punisher, and they need to maintain that, too. I agree. Yeah. All right, Matt. Let's see here. Ben Affleck in The Last Duel. That performance is blank. <laughs> um, we know my answer. I know, yeah. I would say... God, ridiculously fantastic. I mean, he, he gives off a very Kevin Costner vibe where he, like, he can't do the accent, so he, like, doesn't even try. You know, <laughs> just like this... You know, he doesn't fit into the rest of the cast, but he just... He sticks out like such a sore thumb, but I still love it at the same time. Honestly, Matt, my response is nomination worthy. I want him to get an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting <laughs> Actor for that role. I am desperate for that to happen. It is such a blast, as I've said before, watching him on screen in that film. And it needs some type of recognition. It absolutely does. Yeah. I'm pulling for you, Ben. I really need to watch that movie again and really focus on his performance and see if I, if I get what you're putting down here. Oh, absolutely. Just, you know, stay tuned for the stinger this week, folks. I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, very good. All right, so next week um, we're going to be watching Adam McKay's latest film. And as you know, Adam McKay really cut his teeth with Will Ferrell, but they had a bit of a falling out. And they, for all intents and purposes, hate each other at this point. Mm -hmm. So, um, but Hope Springs Eternal. So Adam and McKay and Will Ferrell will blank. They'll mend their friendship at some point, but that'll be it. I don't see them working creatively anymore. And then we're talking maybe years down the road when they're both older. Maybe yeah. some personal tragedy afflicts one of them. Right. <laughs> and they're able to bury the hatchet. But um, for what I read, at least I think, you know, McKay seems pretty open about what happened and how he screwed up. And he did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what he did that caused a rift, if you haven't looked into that, read this. It's Read up on it. It's really, I think it's pretty interesting. But at least he owns up to it. But yeah, no, I don't, maybe someday down the road, but it's, I think creatively as a force, they're, they're done. And I think that's to McKay's detriment because yeah. I have not been super impressed with his non-feral work for the most part. And uh, we'll see what happens next week. And honestly, though, at the same time, um, most of Will Ferrell's work that doesn't have McKay's involvement has not been that good either. It's been, Fair. especially some of those comedies, like, the house is just atrocious. Holmes and Watson was just unbelievably bad. So yeah, I I, I hope they have at least one more movie in, in them. I think I think they should when they do eventually patch it back up to a bit. I hope they can set aside their differences, bring back John C. Riley, and and have one last go with it for them. That would be nice. All right, man. I got a two parter for you, and then oh. I have one more to close it out. Okay. The best Spider Man is blank. The best Peter Parker is blank. Ugh, okay. So I always said that Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man was better than Tobey Maguire's, but Tobey Maguire was a better Peter Parker. I think when you throw Tom Holland into the mix, I still think Andrew Garfield's kind of got that wisecracking, smart-ass part of Spider-Man that's been kind of missing. So I still think Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man is the best one, even though his films are not great. But I think... I honestly buy Tom Holland as the best as the best Peter Parker at this point. I think he I buy him more as a as a, an actual kid than I did either of those two you know thirty five year old actors when they did it. <laughs> well, I think that's part <laughs> of the problem, right? Yeah, Holland yeah. was a little younger. Plus, he has a younger look to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure myself. I actually really enjoy Holland's Spider Man, but I have an affection and maybe it's nostalgia for Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. I think, um, man, I'm not sure myself at all. But you're right. Garfield's Spider-Man was more quippy and kind of got that. I think part of it, too, is aesthetically, I think Holland's Spider-Man is spot on. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 
it's just that um like i i never really cared for mcguire's costume and i did not really like garfield's costume though i appreciate that they went back to the mechanical web shooters yeah instead of having it be something he excreted which i still never quite <laughs> and if, anyway um but if i had to go matt i probably so best spider-man i guess is garfield i guess and parker would be yeah i guess i'm in your camp maybe it is holland at this point i'll have to see what happens in a couple of weeks yeah i'm excited for a couple of weeks oh boy i really hope this works out for you i mean too i do <laughs> I, but i mean i but here's the thing I don't think I'll be disappointed. I don't think I'm going to have any kind of DCEU moments that like a, the Chris version of a DCEU moment <laughs> that my life is littered with. Yeah. All right. So it is, it's the Christmas season, Chris settle it for us once and for all blank is definitely an extra movie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's interesting. I guess, well, Hellboy could be considered that, right? The second Hellboy, yeah. it opens up on Christmas. It has That's a flashback. True. So I guess yeah. if we're going to use the Die Hard definitions, I don't think Die Hard is. Die Hard is a movie that takes place during Christmas, but it's not a Christmas movie. Yeah. All right. I'm willing to go out on that ledge. I'm trying to think. Is that anything else? I'm trying to figure out another uh, way to answer that. Nightmare, on, Nightmare Before Christmas? I've never seen it. Is it? Oh, okay. Is that more of a Christmas movie or more of a Halloween movie? I think it's both, personally. I haven't seen it, so I can't say. I would, I would assume it'd be both. Okay. Uh, there, I did have a really good example that I wanted to throw out there, but I don't remember what it is now because I didn't write it down because I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life is definitely a Christmas movie. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a Christmas movie. I watch it every year, and I cry every time. Every time. I've watched that movie every year for the past 20 plus years, Matt. And I still get weepy every time. But you know what scene it's at? It's only at a couple particular moments. And the one that always gets me is young George Bailey. When um, she leans over in his ear, his bad ear, and says, Is this your bad? George Bailey, I love you for the rest of my life. <laughs> and it kills me every absolute, every time. Oh boy! What about uh, what about uh, Black Christmas? Is that a Christmas movie? Ooh, good one. Um, well, no, it's a horror film set at Christmas because Christmas <laughs> movies have to have particular kind of tropes in them where they're about you know maybe there's some drama that's about joy and family and love and no. That's a horror film set at Christmas. That's another film I watch every year at Christmas as well. Yeah, so for you, it is a Christmas movie. I, I, I guess it depends on how we're defining Christmas movies, yes. I rewatched the uh, remake, the 90s remake last year. And boy, that has a lot of good things going for it in regards to, I think, violence and gore. Yeah. <laughs> but outside of that, there's really nothing there. That film is, is trash. But in a good way, so I think I, I enjoyed rewatching it just because it's it's such a perfect artifact of '90s horror. Yeah, and see, like even if you'd asked me when I was younger, I would not have called Home Alone a Christmas movie. But a lot of people say that it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, torturing people is always up there for Christmas. <laughs> uh, all right, what's your last one, Chris? Netflix's plot or plan for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel is blank. If you don't know what it is, I'm happy to tell you. Yes, please fill me in because I I know it's coming, but I have avoided any kind of information on it. So this is produced by our buddy Fidi Alvarez, who did the excellent Evil Dead sequel slash reboot thing. And this time around, they don't say necessarily that none of the other films happen, but it's basically this is a direct sequel to the first film. And that this is my favorite part. One of the actresses said that basically since the events of the first film, Leatherface has been trying to lead a good life since the events of the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, my God. But then with a bunch of kids come in trying to gentrify, they go from town to town trying to find these dead dead neighborhoods or these dead towns to revitalize them that Leatherface is pressed back into horrific action. There's a scene in the trailer where he, has to, he breaks into the old house and 
gets the chainsaw like out of the wall or out of the floor or something like that because he tried to leave it all behind Matt and be a good person. But these yeah, the fact damn eight people kids. <laughs> and this looks so damn delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't understand. She says it's it's well. He tried to leave a good life since the events of the first film. Yikes. Um. Yeah. So what's the question? What's the blank? So the Netflix's plot kind of plan for this Texas Chainsaw Massacre is blank. This this story that he's been yeah. leading, trying to lead a good life, is what is an embarrassment. It sounds it sounds awful. It sounds so so bad. I think embarrassment is the absolute right word. I get it's all the rage to do direct sequels to these films and wipe out all the other films a la Halloween. But, man, I I just imagine, you know, Leatherface, without his leather face, he's working, like, at the Costco as people walk by, getting like, "Mm." mmm, mmm. And he goes home, like, and eats his raw steak because he's trying to do the right thing. And I just, I can't wrap my head around it. It just seems so ridiculous. I think it's, I don't know. I'm going to watch it. All right, Netflix. I'm going to watch it. But <laughs> I've already got you. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. I'm hoping that she's kind of wrong and she's kind of. Maybe she's, maybe she's effing with us. Could be. Could very well be. Let's hope so, I should say. Crazy stuff. All right, Matt. I guess that's going to be it. You and I got some talking to do, my friend, because the end of the year is going to be a nightmare. Mm. There's like four films coming out in Christmas that I don't know what we're going to do. Super long show or or bonus shows? That's true. We do have some time off coming up too, right? So there is that. Yeah. So what's coming up next week, Matt? Because, oh, here we go. My my computer was not responding to me, but now it is. Yeah. We're watching uh, Spielberg's take on West Side Story. I'm not a fan of musicals, but I am cautiously optimistic for this one. So maybe I'll enjoy it. And then uh, we're going to watch Adam McKay's Don't Look Up. Yosa. All right. Hey, early discussions say that West Side Story is the best remake of all time. Wow. So we will see how that goes. In the meantime, check us out on YouTube. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Do a search for The First Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you will find us. Head on over to thefirstrun.com. There's lots of stuff there as well. Go on over to Apple Podcasts. Give the show a review. It'll help other people find the show. And we'll read that bad bear on the air here. And I guess that's going to be it, Matt. Right? we got one more episode before Christmas, right? Or two. It's a two? It's two. One? Two. Two. Good times. That's right. It'll release on Christmas Eve, right? That's what's right. going to happen. That's it, folks. That's right. All right. So take care of yourselves. We love you very much. Please go get your booster. We'll see you soon. Come in. Take your pants off.